With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAfighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to a bonus episode of What the Heck. A little treat for everybody on this Thursday morning, April 29th, 2021. I am Mike Heck from MMAfighting.com. Thank you for checking us out wherever you find your favorite podcast. And look, it's been a busy week. We are still sort of in recovery mode from this past weekend, UFC 261. And uh, we have four more interviews for you right now as we prepare to put that very memorable event more in the rear view and look ahead to this Saturday's UFC Vegas 25 event at the UFC Apex. So... Let me just get this out of the way. This is going to be a very short introduction, and then it's all about the interviews. It's all about the fighters the rest of the way. So outside of me asking fighters questions and conversing with them, that's all you're going to hear from me the rest of the way. So let's run down the lineup, let you know where you're going to hear in the special bonus episode of the program. Later on in the show, we're going to speak with Dustin Jacoby. He is stepping in on short notice this Saturday at the aforementioned UFC Vegas 25 event. And he's fighting Iwan Kutalaba, and that is a banger. That's a super fun fight on the main card. We'll check in with Dustin Jacoby to wrap things up to talk about how this fight came together on short notice, when he got the call, Anthony Smith, his teammates' performance at UFC 261, and much more. Speaking of UFC Vegas 25, Cody Stamen will also be on the card, also on the main card. He's taken on Marab Wallace willie and it has been quite a road and... Honestly, quite a stretch of bad luck for him over the last several months, but he'll finally get back in the octagon this weekend. And I got to tell you, I've been talking to Cody Stamen for a number of years right now, even before he got into the UFC. This was some conversation, some really honest stuff, 
from Cody Stamen on a number of different topics, not just the fight, but just the last year. What happened with Askar Askar, some mistakes he admits he made along the way, who he thinks is a, the scariest fighter at 135 pounds, his thoughts on TJ Dillashaw's return, some pretty memorable stuff here from Cody Stamen. You'll hear that coming up a little bit later on. Ross could be joined by... UFC lightweight Drakkar Close, and you may have seen the video interview already on our YouTube page. If you haven't, this was his first interview since the infamous shoving incident after the UFC Vegas 24 weigh-ins a couple of weeks ago. If you didn't see it, I don't know how you missed it at this point, but Stevens and Close got face-to-face for the stare-down. Stevens two-handed shoved Close in the chest with authority, Close had his hands behind his back, and this was quite the shove. I mean, it built anticipation for the fight, but it was enough for Jakar Close to suffer a concussion, a cervical sprain of the neck, more injuries, and it's actually led to further injury since that shove took place, and you're going to hear all about it in around 25 minutes or so. But first, we're going to kick things off with the legendary play-by-play voice of the UFC. He was on the desk with the headset on this past Saturday, UFC 261, a lot to discuss coming out of that event the, the whole night. The three title fights, fans back in the arena. What did he think of Daniel Cormier getting up from the broadcast booth to confront Jake Paul? I mean, he was right there. We'll find out right now. But once again, thank you for listening. Enjoy the interviews. That's it for me. Have a heck of a week, everybody. Enjoy my chat with the great John Anik. All right, with everyone still buzzing from UFC 261 on Saturday, let us welcome back Mr. John Anik, who was on the call for the whole damn thing, and somehow he still has a voice after that craziness. John, how are you, man? I'm doing well, and if still buzzing, you mean feel like I have a buzz. Yes, I feel like I am using recreational drugs right now, so it is great to be with you. Absolutely. So uh, you were looking forward to calling this one. We spoke about a month prior and, you know, not just because of the fights themselves, but, you know, it was the return of the fans in a, in a normal capacity, over 15,000 people in the building. And the people who were there from start to finish were on fire from the opening fight. I would assume having the fans back and being there far exceeded your expectations. No doubt about it. Can you imagine what Houston is going to be like if this is any indicator? Certainly over the years, as someone who's been to Brazil north of 25 times, when we go to Australia, there are a lot of places that have such an appetite for this stuff that not only are they there for all 13 fights over eight hours or so, but they watch the entire post-fight press conference for every single live event. And in the United States of America, that is not always the case. This was very much an early arriving crowd. It was a special ticket. There were a lot of people who were non-Floridians from Ohio and other places who made their way to Jacksonville because they didn't want to miss this first event. And I don't have to tell you guys that The fans are the lifeblood of our sport. They add to our live event as much as any fans add to any live event atmosphere. We don't pipe in sound like the Minnesota Vikings, all due respect. So uh, this was a special night from the moment I got to walk out and sort of embrace these fans and uh, was trying to fire them up. You know, Buffer and I were sort of joking that we became cheerleaders, like we became the fans. Like I was literally walking over to sections being like, let's go, Tom Brady, (laughs) you know. Uh, one one of the most memorable, if not the most memorable live event that I've ever been a part of. And that is not recency bias. I think the combination of factors made this the most memorable live event that I've ever called. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much to discuss from this card. Let's let's start with the main event because 
Kamaru Usman knocks out Jorge Mazadal in the second round. The first round is pretty much what a lot of people expected. Like Usman was was getting Mazadal's attention with his punches. Mazadal was landing his leg kicks. Usman got a takedown. Mazadal got back up. And it seems like after round one, we we're in for one hell of a fight. But then Usman landed that right hand and it was a wrap. And, you know, most people saw Usman winning the fight. If you looked at the odds, the odds are clearly in Usman's favor. But to see it end like that, John, I mean, wow. Did that surprise you? Yeah, I think a little bit the nature of it, but I'm not surprised that Kamar Usman was able to put him away after what we saw him do against Gilbert Burns 71 days ago. And in theory, putting a training camp on top of that one and getting right back in uh, another training camp with Trevor Whitman. And uh, I've talked a lot about Henry Hooft and the value of all those years for Kamaru, but the alignment with Trevor Whitman has taken his game to the next level. And I don't know that there's any other way to put it. He was going to go see Trevor, Mike, as you probably know, whether he fought Gilbert Burns or not. So again, the appetite for overall well roundedness, overall improvement as a striker. Most telling thing from our fighter meeting was when Kamar Usman said, not unlike Floyd Mayweather, he injected Floyd Mayweather's name and said, I know how to let a striking fight build. And I'm like, oh man, if this dude's saying stuff like this, you know, and he's going to be that dangerous in that realm, you know, look out to, to the rest of this division. Uh, and that's why to me, the Stephen Wonderboy Thompson matchup is so compelling, you know, to see that stylistic clash, but near perfect performance from Kamara. Certainly the calf kicks of Jorge Masvidal were starting to, to rear their head a little bit. Um, and again, you don't want to take too many of those. You take one on the wrong tissue and, uh, you know, it could be real trouble, but a tremendous right hand, uh, just a tremendous fighter. And uh, I think when Dana White suggests that Kamar Usman appears to be on a trajectory to become the greatest mixed martial arts athlete of all time, he's not wrong. I mean, it looks to me like we're looking at a guy who is destined for for undisputed goat type greatness. Yeah, and we were talking about this after the fight. I think most people, as of right now, are pointing to the Corey Sanhagen knockout of Frankie Edgar as the front runner for knockout of the year. I know it's only April. We're approaching May, at least until Saturday. I mean, a flying knee is always memorable, but the aesthetics of this right hand that Usman landed, like the way Mazadal went down, the water and the sweat flying off of his whole face. I mean, when we're doing year-end awards, this knockout has to be right up there, and if it isn't, and we are in for a ridiculous eight months, John Anik. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And you got to think that over the next eight months, there's going to be something, maybe not on a Joaquin Buckley level, but some crazy spinning back fist type knockout that's going to get consideration. But I am with you, you know, with respect to Corey Sandhagen, you know, this one, I think because of the championship stakes, probably trumps that one. Uh, but it just depends, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, you know, DC and I were going back and forth on this later last year when he preferred Kevin Holland's Jacques de Souza knockout in a year that I thought Joaquin Buckley had turned in the most unanimous type knockout of the year that, that had ever existed. So, but you're right. This was a special strike, uh, a special combination for a special athlete. And uh, I'm really excited to see what he can do next, because when you talk about Anderson Silva's record for 16 consecutive wins, for Kamar Usman to get to 17, what are those next few fights, right? The Covington rematch in theory, maybe a Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fight, which is a fresh fresh matchup if he gets by Gilbert Burns, and then maybe a Leon Edwards rematch as well. If he gets through three of those and, and is 17-0 and 0 in the UFC, he can have whatever distinction he wants with respect to my man Johnny Bones, right? So uh, the world is Kamar Usman's oyster right now, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for being a workhorse, you know, carrying the torch for two pay-per-views inside of 80 days, and uh, – Excited to see this Covington rematch, hopefully in three or four months. Yeah, this, I mean, when we talk about 
you know, greatest of all time, the goat talk and even like the pound for pound list. I mean, it's all subjective in a, in a way, but, but I agree with Usman at this moment. Like I feel like right now, because of the activity, the performances, he is the best fighter in the world right now, especially now that Habib Nurmagomedov is officially retired. Like it has to be at this very moment, Kamara Usman at the top of that list, right? Well, why did Khabib finally get that distinction uh, over John Jones? Certainly the the style points of his win, but it also had to do with activity, which was the word that you led with. And that's what has sort of pushed John Jones not out of the conversation, but back a little bit. You know, all John Jones needs in theory is one win over Francis Ngannou and he becomes the best pound for pound fighter in the world. And I will come on your show and uh, it's not revisionist history. If he goes and finishes Francis Ngannou, how do you not give Johnny Bones that distinction? But right now, all I could think to say on the broadcast before he said it uh, was, You're, you seem to be looking at the best pound for pound fighter in the world. I didn't know what else to say in that moment. And uh, yes, I think given the way Kamar Usman has sort of attacked this COVID-19 climate, um, again, you know, the July 2020 win over Masvidal wasn't that long ago. So uh, Kamar Usman's on top of the game right now. And I think all things considered is the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. Yeah, I mean, 170 is really interesting. Like you said, like look at Leon fighting May 15th, less than three weeks from right now against Nate Diaz, Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson, July 10th. You know, Dana White said all week, Colby's the rematch. That's the fight to make. I spoke with Colby yesterday. As expected, he certainly wants that fight. So we'll definitely see what happens at 170. I think the rematch makes a lot of sense. Let the rest of the, this division sort of play itself out and then just start lining up new and fresh matchups for Usman. But uh Another classic Thug Rose call, John, was in store for the masses on Saturday night. She knocks out Zhang Wei Li with a beautiful head kick. She set it up perfectly, looking low, going high, and Rose Namajunas is once again the UFC strawweight champion. What a story this is, John. I mean, you called the knockout win over Ioanni and Jacek to win her first title. You talked about how memorable of a moment that was for you. How does this one compare to that? I don't even know what to say, right? I really don't even know what to say other than the fact that Pat Barry texted me that she executed perfectly, which I think is no surprise to anybody who has followed her and her career. She's just remarkable, right? And that says nothing of the flying arm bars and the grappling that for a time was her calling card, right? Strictly talking about Rose Namajunas, the layered striker, the head movement, the footwork, uh, you know, Amanda Nunez's coaches oftentimes talk about forcing a mistake or just looking for a mistake, not necessarily forcing a mistake, but looking for that mistake and capitalizing. And uh, the elite athletes, the champions, you make a mistake, you will pay the ultimate price. And that's essentially what it is. You know, I mean, Zhang Weili, way too linear and perfect execution by Thug Rose Namajunas. Her knack for producing these type of moments in these huge pressure spots is just crazy because, you know, at sometimes you think she's a reluctant champion or a reluctant fighter and maybe would rather just be gardening, you know? Uh, and certainly when I interviewed her in Brazil after she relinquished the title to Jessica Andrade, she was liberated in that moment. She was happy to no longer be champion and now she's really happy to be champion. And I think it's hard when you're the best to not have the title, right? It had to be hard for Francis Ngannou to, to, for it to take him 13 UFC fights with all of his physical gifts to break through and become the champion. I think for Rose Namajunas, when you, when you know in training that you're the best if you perform your best, and then you lose to Andrade the way she did, you know, it's not a feeling that you enjoy. And uh, Rose obviously wanted to write that wrong. And hey, one judge goes the other way on that rematch with Andrade, and we're not even having this conversation. I mean, I could go on and on, but, I just love this whole team, you know, 
I love these people. They're just really good people. Whitman and Gaethje and Nami Yunus and Usman and Greg Nelson and everybody else. And uh, when good things happen to good people, you can't help but uh, but be happy for them. So uh, Thug Rose, baby. You know, she's given us a lot to work with, Mike Heck, that's for sure. It's so – I was thinking about this on Saturday because my, my mind likes to race in, like, random directions. But it's just really interesting watching Rose's mentality because, like, it's like watching golf when you play it. And you see guys like Tiger Woods and Dustin Johnson and all these great players and they're, you know, they're winning tournaments and they're shooting 65s. But once in a while they hit a ball in the water, they get an 11 on a hole and you're like, damn, like these guys are human after all. And with Rose, like, like sort of like you alluded to, we see her deal with like these everyday struggles, the issues with the confidence, the issues with her self-belief, things people struggle with every day. And when you see her come through like that and having to talk herself into saying, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best. Like, it's just special, man. Like, it's just hard to explain. Like, what is it like watching her go through all these motions and then leading to these spectacular moments? Because it's really fascinating to watch. See, when she can channel Thug Rose, which is a byproduct of everything that has brought her to this point in her life, the hardship you know, as a Lithuanian American, that story is well documented. When she leans into all of that, you know, when I punched Thug Rose at the weigh-in and the intensity that sort of came off of her, when she channels that version showing up in her overalls, like, fuck all you guys, when that is the attitude that she channels, best of luck, best of luck to you, you know? But she's not always seemingly able to channel it because I think it flies in the face of just how decent and nice and kind a person she is. She's fascinating, man. I mean, she's absolutely fascinating. And, uh, you know, I think in terms of her flow as a striker, Chico Camus is a guy who she always talks about being just such a great athlete and her most key training partner in a lot of respects because he just gets her in this flow. And when she's able to take that from training room to octagon, scary proposition uh, for the rest of the strawweight division. I'm fascinated to see what they do now um, because, I, you know, I think you have good options. Obviously, it's the deepest women's division. But uh, as someone who thought Joanna actually beat Zhang Wei Li, uh, I wouldn't mind a third meeting between Joanna and Rose, even though one and two I thought were pretty decisive. Lost in the shuffle of all of this, and it was unfortunate, was Valentina Shevchenko's performance because, I mean, everyone's talking about Usman and Rose, but I thought. I mean, she pitched a near perfect game against Jessica Andrade. I mean, that yeah. was some performance, another title defense in the books. Dana White told the media after the event that he thought Valentina was pissed off, that she had a chip on her shoulder for sure, that people were doubting her after losing a round to Jennifer Maya. I feel like in a weird way, she's sort of an afterthought in the night with everything that happened when she probably had the best overall performance of the night, John. Yes. And just because she doesn't have the $50,000 bonus doesn't mean that she won't get something discretionarily. And by the way, it was a big financial evening uh, for the UFC flyweight champion, Valentina Shevchenko. But you're right. She was the one facing a former champion. I don't think any of us expected, other than, of course, Shevchenko and Pavel Fedotov, the strength discrepancy to be quite so pronounced, seven for seven on her takedowns. And I think you have the best analogy in the Major League Baseball, one of a perfect game. It was a perfect performance against a fighter, uh, to Dana's point, who a lot of people thought was going to bring out the best in Valentina. You know, there were paths to victory or so we thought for Jessica Andrade. And man, did she chew all that up and spit it out. And I'll tell you guys, when we sat down with her on Thursday, she didn't look good. You know, she she looked 
sort of like she didn't have her coloring. Uh, she looked like she was carrying extra weight in her face. She just didn't look right. And uh, thankfully, we didn't lean into that because she certainly looked good at the weigh-in on Friday and later that day, even at the press conference on Thursday, and looked like an absolute mauler on uh, on Saturday night. So we'll see what happens with Lauren Murphy and JoJo Calderwood. I mean, there's a longer conversation, obviously, in terms of the Nunes trilogy fight for Shevchenko. But, you know, Valentina is defending the belt on big pay-per-views, Masvidal headline pay-per-views, making money. Uh, and again, she's not a natural bantamweight. But I do believe that for a lot of us as mixed martial arts fans, we want the closure of a third fight between those two. And hopefully we get it. Yeah, and... You know, you mentioned the June 12th fight between Murphy and Calderwood. We also got Viviani Arujo fighting Caitlin Chukagian on May 15th. And I know Chukagian just lost, so she's probably not quite in the equation unless she does something absolutely spectacular. But Viviani Arujo is an interesting piece to this puzzle. If she goes out there and has a great performance against Caitlin Chukagian, I spoke with Lauren Murphy about this last week. Lauren's like, I could see her jump in the queue if she goes out there and has a great performance. So Valentina's got options. Obviously, Rose has options because we got Jan Janan, Carlos Sparza. They could do the rematch. Mackenzie Dern is a winner two away. Yoan is there. I mean, yeah. both these divisions are so interesting right now. No doubt. No, and 115 pounds with Jan Shaunan and Carla Esparza. I do think there's a good chance that a top contender emerges out of that. I mean, Zhang Weili with her 21-fight winning streak, I think, can lay claim to a rematch, you know. And you're right that the cupboard is not bare at flyweight, but I do wonder what the inner monologue is, not when they're talking to you per se, but for Lauren Murphy and JoJo Calderwood, right, because – Valentina Shevchenko in her post-fight interview sort of intimating, like, keep looking for weaknesses or stop looking for weaknesses because there are none. And I really wonder how you approach that challenge, right? Like, if I was a fighter, how would I approach Valentina? I'd probably do something super reckless and I'd get finished in 30 seconds. But I would probably try to do something out of the ordinary, right? And I do wonder how those women approach this particular challenge because uh, – it, you know, if you thought this was one sided, at least in terms of the betting number, I mean, she's going to be minus seven, minus eight hundred against whoever emerges out of that fight. She was minus four hundred here. So, uh, you know, it's not a problem. Dominant champions are never a, a bad thing for sport, whether it's George St. Pierre, or the New England Patriots. But at, at flyweight, uh, she is getting close to cleaning out the division. Of course, I'd be remiss if we didn't discuss what happened before the title fights. Chris Weidman, Uriah Hall began their rematch. Wyman throws the kick. It was checked and everybody knows what happened by now. And man, that sound just watching it on the broadcast is just something I will never forget. And you were sitting just a few feet away from it. It's just so unfortunate to see. And it's unfortunate that it, that it takes an injury like this, John, to put into context for a lot of these fans, the risks involved in competing in a sport like this one. So what went through your mind when that all went down on Saturday? Oh, my gosh, man. I'm losing my mind. You know, I'm getting emotional. You just bringing it up again. Uh, I'm just supremely close to, to Chris Weidman. And obviously, Ray Longo is one of my best friends. He's been on my podcast since episode one. And that's six years. So uh, I spent a lot of time with them during fight week. I just love Chris so much. And um, I just hate to see anybody go through this. And uh, it's just hard knowing that he's in that hospital in Jacksonville right now. And he is going to be able to go home today. And because he's in South Carolina, he'll be able to go by by motor vehicle and not airplane, which is a good thing. But I just feel so bad for the guy. And, uh, you know, the surgery went well. And I think the fact that one of the bones aligned sort of on its own is a good indicator that maybe he might get back to competition even sooner than people would expect. There's no doubt in my mind that this dude competes again. 
None whatsoever, right? I really do believe that's the safest bet right now, that he walks at Madison Square Garden with much fanfare, and it's one of the most special moments in UFC history. And if you've seen any of the content that Chris has been pushing out since this happened, he said when it happened, he's writhing in pain. He's immediately trying to lean into the positive, thinking about how can I document my recovery, or he's literally trying Leaning into his faith, trying to take his mind to a positive place. I just have so much respect for him. But in the moment, I was uh, off my game. I missed a promo cue. I try not to let that happen. I mean, I was totally off. And the only thing that could have saved the night from there was actually what happened, that we saw some of the greatest finishes in UFC championship history because uh, we were all in a very bad place for Chris. And, uh, you know, for Uriah, they'll move him forward. He has a four-fight winning streak and and, uh, just – Man, you're right, man. This sport is just insane. And uh, I do think if you didn't have all the respect you needed to have for these athletes, something like this happens and then you have it. Yeah. I, and obviously the well wishes to Chris Weidman and, and, and the fam, it's just it's just crazy. And and, and, and you feel for Uriah too, man. Like I, I, I spoke with him before the first fight got postponed and he wanted, he wanted this one so bad. Like he, it was the first loss of his pro career and to have it end like that. Like I, I thought he handled himself like a, like a champion in the aftermath. And you just feel for both guys, Chris saying he's going to be back in the gym in six to 12 months is not surprising to me. Right. Like if it was anybody else saying that I'd probably be like, eh, I don't really buy it. But Chris Wyman saying it, I believe him. I'm telling you, as an athlete, I've never heard coaches speak about a fighter quite like this. Certainly when people would talk about Jose Aldo and there are some others, but when Matt Serra and Ray Longo talk about this guy and when you look at, as an American, his jiu-jitsu credentials and everything that sort of got him to become the undisputed UFC middleweight champion, quick learner doesn't even begin to describe it. It's like you tell the guy one thing and immediately it becomes part of his game. You hear Anthony Smith talking this week, being like, dude, I trained with the guy for 10 days. I got nothing done, like barely landed anything anything. Couldn't out grapple the guy. He's a total phenom. And his training in South Carolina got him to such a good place that he was ready to sort of resume his ascent and, and maybe even, you know, get back into title contention, believe it or not, entering this fight as number 11 in the world. So I just feel bad for, for Carolina, Chris. But uh, he, if anybody can lean into their faith and lean into the positive, uh, it's him and his family. And uh, these are going to be some tough days. But uh, I wish I could get a betting line on him fighting you know, in 2023, because that shit's happening. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you on that. And also, uh, tip of the proverbial cap to Anthony Smith and Jimmy Crute for their main card opener. That was a fun scrap for those five minutes. Great win for Anthony. Uh, Jimmy Crute, no real update on his his condition right now. But the fact that we have no real update on his condition right now is probably a good thing. I know he's back in Sydney, and right. we're supposed to get an MRI later on this week. So hopefully that's good. But uh. A lot of great memories on Saturday in Jacksonville. The stars were out in full force. Tom Brady and company in the building. But nobody got more attention on Saturday night than Jake Paul, John. And in fact, he got in, he got DC's attention, your broadcast partner in crime. They had their little face-to-face. That's gotten a ton of buzz. Like, what, what, what did you think of this whole thing as it was happening? The F Jake Paul chance, DC getting up and getting in his grill. Like, what, what, what was going through your mind as this was happening? So if memory serves, our producer, Zach Candido, gave DC 120 seconds to uh, settle his business. And Daniel Cormier is a fighter. And as I've texted DC, I like when his Louisiana comes out, you know. But uh, 
It's an interesting thing because I respect Jake Paul, Jake Paul, the professional boxer. I would like to see him boxing boxers and not the worst strikers in MMA history per se, right, to actually do something competitive. But I'm not surprised that Daniel Cormier wants to stand his ground and uh, you're not just going to inject DC's name into the mix without consequences. And uh, I think he felt at peace after his conversation because he came back to the broadcast booth and uh, – not a bead of sweat on his forehead, man. I think he said his piece and uh, felt like he he needed to do that to just sort of clear the air. And I can understand why some of these mixed martial arts athletes, you know, feel the way they do about the way some things are happening in combat sports these days, right? Um, but again, I'm in the business where I, we have a lot of developing fighters in the UFC who come in three and zero, three and one, and I respect those fighters that are maybe number six hundred and fifty on the roster that arguably shouldn't be here right now, but is getting a short notice opportunity. And for Jake Paul, power to you, man. Make your money. You know, if you don't like his attitude, you know, I can understand why he's maybe not your cup of tea. Uh, I'm just asking for him to not pluck the worst strikers in, in UFC history, you know? I mean, Hoist Gracie and Damian Maya gonna be next, you know what I mean? It's like, go fight a striker, you know? And if you wanna fight a mixed martial artist, then just fight a striker, you know? Um, so, I don't know. I, I I am interested in Jake Paul insofar as him fighting somebody that actually is focused on the discipline that he is focused on. Uh, he ain't fighting DC, he ain't fighting Tyron Wood. That's for damn sure. Can you believe the attention he's getting these days, though? I mean, it's pretty, it's it's pretty wild. Like, love him or hate him, he's he's getting a lot of buzz and a lot of attention. Like, and I know, like, we don't like to throw out clicks and stuff like that. But when Jake yeah. Paul ends up on our website, people people click it. It's it's yeah. it's insane to me. Yeah. Well, and obviously you're asking me about it and I got people sliding up into my DMs telling me I'm not giving him a fair shake, saying that not only is he working as hard as the developing fighters that I just referenced, but that he's also putting in the right work uh, and beating guys that, you know, maybe he isn't supposed to beat in sparring. So uh, we'll see what happens. I think sometimes with certain athletes, the fa you can't get past the facade. You know, Colby Covington is an outstanding human being, right? Like people have no idea how good a dude there is underneath whatever facade it is. And by the way, Covington is also one of the pound for pound greatest mixed martial arts athletes that I've ever seen, but people can't get past that. And with Jake Paul, people don't want to lean into anything positive. I'm not afraid to do that. Just don't fight Ben Askren and we're good. <laughs> Nick Diaz is also in the building looking shredded, John. It seems like he's ready to get back in there. Uh, do you think we see him in 2021? Like, do you, do you have a good feeling if there was a betting line that you could, uh, you know, play the ponies with? Do you think we see him fight this year? You know, I don't know if it'll be this year, but hopefully inside of, you know, 10 or 12 months. I love these guys so much that I have a 209 tattoo, so I don't know where you want me to go with this. <laughs> but uh, I was so excited to fist bump Nick Diaz and the sport, as I've said, is much better with those dudes in it in whatever capacity. So uh, I think we see him fight. I think what's most interesting is what is the challenge that he's back for? Is it specific or is it just, you know what? I'm in the best shape of my life and uh, it's time to go put the screws to somebody. I don't really know. Uh, but if he's back for a singular challenge, you know, whether it's Masvidal or Chimaev or somebody else, uh, sign me up. Favorite moment of Saturday overall? Like little thing, big thing? What, 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 what moment sticks out to you that like you'll always have with you like from a positive perspective? So – Friday, I got to tell you, go in uh, fist bump Nick Diaz and then right up on stage to MC the way into that crowd was a very special moment. But as far as Saturday is concerned, 
you know, it's hard for me to not focus on Rose and Kamaru. Um, maybe just Bruce Buffer walking out and getting into the <laughs> octagon like the cheerleader that he is. Uh, there were a lot of memorable moments. It's too hard to 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 focus on one. But I guess locking eyes with Joe Rogan romantically right after uh, Rose knocked out um, Zhang Weili was probably the moment for me. And, uh, you know, as hard as it is, this job, and it really is, you know, my Fridays are 19-hour are Fridays and eight hours on a headset. Uh, sometimes it's hard to to focus on being so happy and excited when I sit down in that seat because there's just so much on my plate over the ensuing eight hours. But it's nights like this that that make me do lean into and realize uh, that I have the greatest job in the world and, and just very thankful for this seat that I'm going to try to go earn here again uh, on May 8th. There you go. John, you are the man. I appreciate the time. I always say like, yeah, give me 15 minutes and then we go for 28. And, uh, and you're so gracious with the time, man. I appreciate it very much. All the best to you. Uh, enjoy May 8th. Enjoy the trip to Houston. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. It's only because I like your Boston accent. I just like hearing that Massachusetts <laughs> accent. As much as you try to cloak it, I can understand that it's uh, it's always there. I had I had a hard time saying Tristan Connolly without dropping <laughs> the ball. I couldn't do it. And, you know, even on the, the pre-voice stuff, you know, coming up next, Tristan Connolly couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't do it without the Boston accent. But thank you, boys. Always good to catch up with you. We'll talk soon. We're this close to crowning an NBA champ. And with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet, up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
All right, let us welcome Drakkar close to the program right now. As you probably know, he was set to face Jeremy Stevens in the co-main event of UFC Vegas 24. And at the post-weigh-in face-offs, he was shoved hard by Jeremy Stevens. People were talking about it, getting more excited for the fight. And then we found out at the start of the broadcast that the fight was off, that injuries were suffered, including a concussion, a cervical sprain of the neck, and, and more, actually. But uh, I wanted to get Drakkar on the program to talk about it, and I truly appreciate that. Drakkar, how are you, man? Uh, I'm doing a lot better, a lot better. Yeah, I mean, it's first of all, it's great catching up with you again because you and I have been having these chats for many years now, and you know, I wish we were talking about a breakthrough performance against a longtime veteran in Jeremy Stevens. Unfortunately, that is not the case. You said you're doing better. I mean, it's been around 10 days since all of this happened. You know, when did you start to kind of like turn turn the corner and, and, and start feeling better? Uh, my headache start, stopped going or uh, stopped like Thursday, you know, go, leading into the weekend. Um, that was my biggest concern is my headaches. They were they were pretty bad. And then I had got an MRI on my neck and um, I guess I have a herniated disc. So I'm just dealing with that now. So. Man, so like the, the headaches, so you dealt with those headaches from basically like Friday on, so almost like six full days you had to deal with the headaches? Yeah, I didn't even have headaches uh, after I got knocked out by Benil, you know what I mean? I think um, doing the weight cut, you know, I only had like maybe 10 ounces of water in me before we did a, the stare down and, you know, I was, I was still dehydrated and it just, it's crazy how that whiplash can do that to you. I mean, how would you, outside of like the headaches and just feeling crappy, I'm sure, like how would you describe these last 10 days, like from the shove, the aftermath, the injury, the fight just being canceled? Like what has life been like since the shove happened? You know, a lot of hate, a lot of hate, but a lot, you know, a lot of people have been telling me uh, their situations and their, you know, problem, neck injuries and stuff like that. And uh, I'm just glad I didn't step in that cage that night. You know, one, one punch, you know, it could, it could have changed my life. Something dealing with your brain, man, you only get one brain and um, you have to be smart. And I'm just glad, you know, I had the right people around me and uh, I didn't fight. I know Jeremy is, is a bit of a wild man in these situations. Like we we've seen all the angles from the face off. You were wearing a mask. He was not wearing a mask. It didn't seem like much was said, but it was really hard to tell. Honestly, Drakkar, like, was there anything said prior to the shove? No, I didn't say anything to him. Uh, maybe he listened to uh, uh, my, the interviews leading up to the fight and, you know, he got mad about that. But other than that, like when we faced off, you know, I was just quiet. You know, I was just in there ready just to, you know, do these face offs and get ready to fight the next day. I mean, is, is there anything that maybe you said in those interviews? Because, I mean, listen, I've interviewed before and like you, it's a fight. Like you say things about a fight like you're not going to say like, oh, I'm going to lose to this guy. You're going to, you know, to be honest. I think he thought it was, uh, you know, Bellator competes on Friday. I think uh, wrong promotion. I think he thought he was in Bellator. <laughs> I'm I'm sure you were crushed to find out that you wouldn't be able to compete. Turns out it was actually a blessing in disguise. What was going through your mind when you basically had to throw in the towel on fight day and that it was completely out of your control? Like you said, you're relieved now, hindsight being what it is, but were you relieved on Saturday as well? Like that, that, that you knew that you weren't in a position to fight, that your team had your back and the right decision was made. Um, I was pissed off really, man. Uh, you know, that was a big opportunity to go in there and beat them up a co-man event. And for people to think that, 
I really wasn't injured, that kind of pisses me off. And um, like I, I kind of want to get street justice on him. If I see him, I will. I swear, I'm a, I'm gonna get him. It's yeah. That, that I think that was that. That's been a pretty awful thing. Was the reaction to this from from fans and even some members of the media that I saw? It's just pretty awful, pretty unfair. People saying that you were faking it, you were scared. It it got to the point where like members of your team had to send like medical reports to the journalists. Like I know Courtney Casey who you're with, like had to screenshot symptoms, like, like all this unnecessary stuff that, that none of us like should have to do in a situation like this. Like how rough was it seeing that kind of reaction from everybody? Man, it sucks. You know, I, I don't want to get like into like the back and forth with the UFC, but you know, I'll just leave it as it is. It just, it just sucks because, you know, I came, I was professional and I got injured on the job and, and all I know is like any other any other sport, they do something like that. They either fine, suspend it. So it just sets a bad example for everyone else. So do you feel like there should have been some repercussions in, in this situation for Jeremy? Or do you feel like, listen, we're in the fight game. Like I would like you said, the street justice thing, I'd rather make him pay inside the octagon. Um you have to be, you know, I signed a contract to fight that Saturday, not Friday. You know what I mean? I was at my my weakest point, you know, cutting weight. And that was a cheap shot. I had my hands behind my back. Dude, that, that's something you, when, when you're when you're afraid, that's what people do. They do cheap, cheap shots. And that's what I believe he did. Another tough part about watching this journey, and, and you sort of mentioned, I know you don't want to get into like complete specifics, but it did take some time, but the UFC did agree to pay your show money. You also got your promotional compliance pay from the Venom deal, I was told. No win money. You were able to get some money that you were hoping to get, but I mean, all in all, you don't have to get into like complete specifics about the discussions, but were you ultimately disappointed with the way this was handled by the UFC? You know, according to Dana White, that's a savage move he did. I've seen some interview and he was talking about Jamie is a savage. No, that's a bitch move. And, you know, I should have got, I believe I should have got paid both. You know what I mean? I came, I was being professional. I did everything possible and he fucked it up. Not me. He also blamed Sean Shelby. He said Sean Shelby dropped the ball and it was him not being in the right position and not being prepared for it. And again, like Jeremy's a wild man, but it turned out to be, the onus was put on Sean and, and not on Jeremy. How, how did you react to that? Um, like I like Sean, it, it wasn't his fault. You know what I mean? We signed the contract. We're professionals act professional. It seems the plan, at least as of the, the fight being canceled, that the plan was to rebook this fight with Jeremy. Is that what you're hearing as well? Like I know you're dealing with, you know, the, the, the sort of the back end of everything going on. You're dealing with the, the disc injury now. Like, is that what you want? Like uh, at some point, like the next time you love, fight, I would, I would love to fight him. Um, I'm not sure how long it's going to take me for my neck to get injured. You know, I'm still, uh, you know, having like try to do anything to get my heart rate up yet. So I'm not sure how my head's going to respond to that. Um, but I, I, I want to get in there and fight him. Did they give you? Go ahead, I'm sorry. Because he, he knows he was going to get his ass whooped that night, dude. And that's why he did that. And I can't wait to get in there and just beat him up. Has he reached out to you at all? Like on, on social media, DM anything saying like, dude, like I didn't mean for that to happen. Like anything from his end? No, but 
when I see him, it's on. I swear, every time I see him, I'm going to fight him. So uh, let me let me ask you this because we've had we've had many of these chats over the years. You signed with the UFC. I think we we spoke right before that happened for the first time. And you've had seven fights in the UFC. You're five and two. You had one of the craziest fights we've seen in a long time last year with Benil Dariush. In my opinion, like I feel like you are one of the more underappreciated guys in the lightweight division. Are you happy right now when it comes to your fighting career? Like when you signed with the UFC, has this lived up to the expectations? that you may have set for yourself? Um, no, I'm happy fighting for the UFC, but I can tell things have changed since ESPN's came, came along. It's more of a, it's more mainstream. You know what I mean? Um, so they're always in and out. They'll, you know, if I say too much, you're going to see, I get cut tomorrow. So I'm just not going to say any more on that. Fair enough. How, how, what, how many fights do you have left on your current deal, if you don't mind me asking? I think three. Three? Okay. So you still got you still got time. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I mean, this division's so interesting. And this fight was like, was a big deal for you. Like getting a guy like Jeremy Stevens, especially like with everything that this year has brought to you since the Darius fight, like this is a big deal. And just to have it go away like this kind of sucks, especially with the situation that you're in right now. So perfect world you your neck your neck is okay we, we get back and we, we rebook this fight as soon as possible yeah uh, i'm not sure when they're gonna come to i think they're gonna come to phoenix i'm not sure when um hopefully it's in end of july maybe august you know i should be good around there um but yeah i, I do i want to get in there hopefully the ufc books this again uh because I, I swear i'm gonna put some pain on them i'm i'm gonna make that ref pull me off i'm still gonna hit him like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just pissed about the whole situation. It sucks, you know, and uh, and he's praised for it. I don't like that. It's 2020. It's do you feel like the sport is kind of going to continue to head in that direction? Not just the UFC, just the sport in general. Yeah, you see Jake Paul and, you know, all these people there. You know what I mean? Uh, it's crazy. You just do a little talking and you get paid. You know what I mean? Um, it shouldn't be like that. It should be the best, fighting the best. And But, again, it, it's a business and you got to sell them tickets. How is, I mean, how has Courtney been dealing with all of this? Is she is she angrier than you? Because, I mean, listen, I know what it's like to, to have a significant other who, who's got your back. And if it was me in that situation, my wife would probably be on a plane to Jeremy Stevens' house right now. Yeah, uh, you know, she's t she's taking it pretty well, you know, just coming off her uh, her loss that should have been a win and then this right here, you know what I mean? It's just we're kind of banking on, you know, making this money so we can invest and do things with it. But now uh, we just have to sit back and uh, take it slow one day at a time. And hopefully I get in there and get my hands on Jeremy. Is there any silver linings you find in this situation? Like, is there any blessing in disguise in all of this? Man, my health is my number one priority. You know, um, just as, as long as I'm healthy, you know what I mean? Uh, having those concussions, people retire from that stuff. Uh, you know, that could have took two or three fights off my career. Um, just just trying to stay healthy, get back in there and uh, just just keep fighting. Has this at least made you take that part of it more seriously than maybe you would have had this not happened? Yeah, definitely, man. Um, 
You know, that that's my first time ever getting a headache. Even after Benil, I didn't the next day I was I was able to train on Monday, no headaches, nothing like that. And you know, that kind of took a little something from me. And, you know, I gotta get it back from them. So well, listen, Jakar, I know there are a million other things you'd rather be talking about right now. I can't believe you brought up Jake Paul. I made a promise to myself, like, don't bring up Jake Paul in this interview. I'm sick of talking about him. And there you are uh, bringing him up. So I might as well ask you, like, what, what have you made of this whole thing? Like, he's getting in DC's face. He's all over the place. Just every time he does anything, people want to know about it. It's it's so bizarre, man. I mean, you can't hate him. He's making money. Um, I kind of like that little post he made. He's made more money than any other UFC fighter besides Khabib and uh, Connor? That's crazy. That's crazy. Right what did you, what did you think about that post? Like the the one guy who's been like the antithesis against MMA for the last like several months. He's the guy like coming forward and like trying to support fighter rights for 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 the UFC and MMA fighters. Like I thought that was, I thought that was a pretty cool move on his end. If we're being honest, I didn't think I'd be talking about him in such a positive light. But to see that, I was like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, he can do that because he's his own boss. You know what I mean? That's true. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great way to look at it. But Drakkar, thank you for the time, man. Like this is a, a pretty awful situation. My best goes out to you, obviously to, to get back on track. I know you want this fight with Jeremy and hopefully we could see that maybe sometime this summer or at least sometime in 2021, man. Thank you for the time. And uh, thank you for being so, as open as you possibly could be about all of this. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. All right, one of the big fights people have their eye on this coming weekend is in the Bantamweight division, and I'm happy to be joined by one of the participants in that contest. He's going to take on Marab Duwalish Willie. Finally, it goes down on Saturday at UFC Vegas 25. Cody Stamen joins us once again. How are you, man? I'm great, dude. I'm great. I'm finally uh, six months in the making. We're finally going to do it this weekend. Yeah, man, it has been some road to get here. And we were talking a little bit off air before we hit record because, you know, this fight with Marab was supposed to happen in December. You had the injury. You could have done it a couple weeks later. Then you were supposed to fight in February and you had two different opponents. It didn't end up happening. You're supposed to fight Askar Askar. He wasn't clear to compete right before the fight was about to start. Like what have these last couple of months been like for you? Because I know how badly you wanted to get in there and fight in February, no matter who was in there with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I said yes to three different people in February. Uh, I, I literally told my manager, I was like, I don't care who it is. Uh, I'm saying yes. I want to fight on that date. Um, it, it doesn't matter. Like, just don't even don't even bother sending me the contract. Like, I'm going to say yes. And it's just because at that point, you know, I'd gotten ready for a fight in December. I hurt my back. I asked for it to be pushed back two weeks, like you said. And... and you know, it wasn't a possibility. And then Marab doesn't fight either. It's like, well, in hindsight, maybe we should have pushed it back two weeks. We would have been, we could have fought then. And then, so I did one training camp and then I did another training camp and then nothing happens. And honestly, like initially it was really hard to stay motivated because I had just done back-to-back training camps. Uh, and they asked me to fight the same guy again. I'm like, I don't want to do this. Like, I, you know, give me somebody else. Like, I need some variety. You know, I've been eating the same dish for four months. I want to, I want to fight somebody else. And Marab starts showing up at the gym and starts kind of training with a bunch of my training partners and everybody kind of talked me into doing it. They're like, listen, you should take this fight. Here's why. And I kind of just said, all right, screw it. I mean, I've already signed two contracts to fight the guys. It's not like I, you know, it's a fight that I 
that I won't do. So why not a third? So here we are. Uh, I got to fight the little nasty Mirab this weekend. And <laughs> I'm just happy to be fighting. You know what I mean? Like, even if it's a little nasty critter like him, like at this point, it doesn't even matter. Just put me in the cage. Like I- I've been itching to go for a long time. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, at this point, if it, if something happens to Murad this week and they offer me a gorilla to fight this weekend, I'm going to do it. I don't care if he's 285 pounds. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take the fight. So going back to, to February, we spoke right before you were supposed to fight Askar Askar. I think it was like the day after it was made official. And I mean, you were just fired up to get in there. You were like, thank you for the opportunity, Askar. Thank you for stepping up and signing the contract, but I'm going to hurt you, son. Like I'm going to put you in a bad yeah. place. I'm going to make you pay for it, but still, thank you very much to find out. He wasn't cleared to fight. And then you lost the fight so close to it. Like, how did you react to that? Uh, I mean, not, not well, not well. Um, you know, I knew it was a risk taking a fight against somebody that um, was a debut guy. You know what I mean? And, you know, maybe in hindsight, I should have waited and just tried to fight Andre Ewell when, as soon as he was uh, cleared for COVID. But, you know, one of the hands were two in the bush. I was looking at it like they want this guy in the UFC. They're going to get everything done. They do this all the time. Everything would be fine. Um and then to have the plug pulled and realize that I maybe made the wrong decision was just a nightmare for me. And so I'm going back and I'm thinking, wow, you know, I should have just fought. I should have fought the, the the tougher guy. I should have done this. I should have done that. And then you start, you know what I mean? All these things are spinning in your head and then you don't get the opportunity and you don't get paid and all the hard work seems like it's for nothing. But, uh, you know, I just did what I always do. And I just went back to the gym. You know, I, I have that blue collar mentality. It doesn't really matter what's going on in my life. Uh, I'm going to work and thank God for it because, uh, I, you know, there's no way I'd be sitting here having this conversation with you or being the UFC or anything. If, you know, every single time something, some kind of road bump came along in my career that set me off course, you know, there's been, I've, you know, like most guys fought a lot of adversity to be here. Uh, and you know, I've, I've battled numerous injuries. Uh, this isn't the first time I've, I've had opponents switch up last minute. This isn't, this isn't anything new to me. And the only thing I really know to be true is that, uh, you know, when all these crazy things are happening, um, I just got to go back to the gym at work. And, you know, if I just continue to do that, you know, I, I can see everything that I've manifested, all the goals that I have as an athlete, uh, coming to fruition. And, you know, this is, this is no different. You know, I've, I've, I've had, you know, 2020 was a really tough year for me, you know, losing a fight, losing a family member. I mean, there's no adversity that you're going to, that I'm going to see in the cage in life, um, that I have not seen, you know what I mean? And knock on wood. I mean, I've dealt with some heavy shit and I'm not scared of, you know, any other heavy shit that's coming my way you know what I mean because I know that you know when my back's against the wall and when shit hits the fan and things aren't going the way they're supposed to I'll figure it out you when we last spoke you talked about how taking the fight with Jimmy Rivera was was a mistake in hindsight like you you regretted that decision you felt like you've made a lot of good ones along the way but this one was even though the opportunity was a good one you felt like just kind of jumping in there wasn't you know, wasn't a good idea. And then you talked about, you know, losing a family member and all that stuff. 
as as awful as those things are, do you think sort of dealing with those things in 2020 helped you kind of cope with losing the Askar Askar fight like in a better way? Like you said, you're a blue collar guy, you got right back in there, but you dealt with those things, you questioned yourself enough in 2020 to have that happen was just, did you just treat it as just like a, a just another small bump in the road to get where you need to go? Yeah, I mean, I think I absolutely hit rock bottom after the Jimmy Rivera fight. Not only, you know, was I dealing with a ton of personal stuff, and then I went out and competed like an asshole, and, like, I was in a, in a bad, bad place. And, you know, the thing about – there's two things that happen when you when you kind of drop the ball and you're sitting in that position. One, you grow up in a ball, and a lot of people – I mean, people that I know that are strong people, that are good people, you know, some in their life and never really – there's always like this looming darkness around them. Um, and I was just refused to be one of those people. I wasn't going to be one of the people that, you know, let, uh, let life beat me down. And honestly, I, I just came back and kind of like bulletproof my mind and got to a point where, you know, uh, I would maybe sit and feel sorry for myself for a day, a few hours, and then I was right back to work. And, you know, you're absolutely right all the bad things that happened kind of formulated me into the man I am today. And they're the reason, you know, I'll be successful in the future. You know, I, I guess I didn't know really how much I had to give until I lost everything. And then, uh, everything changed. My mindset changed. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really like I see everything as an opportunity now, you know, all the good things I see them as opportunities instead of like, uh, you know, like, you sign a fight, it's against a really tough guy, and you're like, well, why do I got to fight this guy? Why can't I get the Sean O'Malley train and fight a bunch of guys that are on their way out? And, you know, I just looked at everything like an opportunity now. Like, why do I have to fight Marab Devalishvili? He's, you know, easily, you know, what people would say is you know, the best wrestler in the band division. Like, why can't I get somebody else? And I'm just like, dude, they gave me Marab. I'm just going to figure out a way to beat him. Like, that's that's my mindset now. I'm like, it, it's not like I'm fighting Marab. Marab has to fight me. And uh, I'm going to be a nightmare for him. That gave me way too much time to prepare for this fight. Yeah. And that was kind of like another thing that stuck out from our last conversation between, you know, dealing with 2020 and then finding out you were fighting Marab, you got into like insane physical condition. Like you ramped things up to a whole nother level. So after losing the Ascar fight, when you found out that you were scheduled to fight Marab again, did you like ramp things up even more or was this just like, okay, We've done this before. Let's just fine tune some things. Yeah, honestly. So in in February, I was like convinced, like, this is the best physical condition I have ever been in. I cannot get in better shape than this. This is the best version of myself I could ever be. And I was confident in that. I knew that. And, you know, I, I, I do a ton of stuff with the PI and they track all your your, your heart rate, you know, what your what heart rate is when you're doing this. And so I have like all this data and I know exactly like, I know for a fact that this is the best shape I've ever been in, you know, in comparison to, to, to other fights. And like I said, after the Rivera fight, it's like a fight that I just didn't have any gas. I'm like, I'm never going to feel that again. You know what I mean? Cause going into a fight, wanting to win, not having the gas to do it. Uh, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. Cause you're basically a punching bag in there. You're not, you can't, you know what you have to do, but you cannot do it. And it is a horrible feeling, especially against a uh, dude that throws bombs like Jimmy Rivera. It was not a friendly feeling in there, uh, knowing that, you know, I didn't have 
what it took to go out and push and win that fight. Just physically, my muscles just were not doing it. Um, so I was like, I'm never going to be in that position again as an athlete. And so I, I, I murdered myself and I was ready in, I was ready in, uh, December. I was ready in February. February is like where I really peaked where I was like, wow, this is it. This is, this is me at my best. And, you know, after, after that fight didn't happen, I took a couple weeks, uh, still trained a little bit, but wasn't real, wasn't real serious about it. Get the Murat fight. And I'm like, okay, we got to do all this all over again. Let's see, you know, let's see kind of where I'm at. And, you know, I, my numbers weren't as good, you know, a month into the training camp. Now a month into this training camp, I'm, I'm blowing the numbers that I did in February away. And like, I, I was 1000% convinced that February was the best I, I could be. And the fact that, you know, I went up from there, you know, having a little bit of rest and, you know, jumping back into a training camp. Like I, I I've surprised myself. I mean, I'm running sub five minute miles. Like I've never ran under a six minute mile. I'm not a runner. I'm not, I'm not made to run. Like I got short stubby legs. Like I'm not, I'm not made to do an endurance endurance uh competition but right now i mean i could i could literally you know what i mean jump on a track and and race maybe against high schoolers that run the mile but i mean not against like collegiate level athletes but i mean i'm in crazy good shape for uh you know my body type and and what i normally bring to the table and it makes me wonder it's like dude why have you not not been doing this why have you not been given this your entire career and what's the upside you know, that's that's what I'm sitting here asking myself constantly, uh, you know, coming into this fight. Like, what's the upside? You know, I know that I have more gas in the tank. I know that, you know, if Marab and I get into an absolute barn burner, which I predict we will, uh, can I can I gas Marab up? You know what I mean? A guy that's known for kind of wearing on people, you know, sloppy, coming at you like, like a dog with rabies, like... Can I grab And I honestly think I can. I, I I really really believe it. Like, do I think I can run takedowns up on the guy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he throws wild shit. Nobody really tries to wrestle him. I've seen a couple guys shoot out shoot on him ever, and I don't think they're the caliber wrestler that I am. Uh, I honestly believe that if I want to, I can go out there and grab him. I think I could get 10 takedowns on him. I think I could hold him down. I think I can push a pace. I think I can wear him out. And uh, I want to do that. I want to do that. That's something I, I enjoy doing against every opponent. You know, I I like taking those guys into places that they are maybe should be good. Um, and just seeing who's better. I did it against a guy, like one of my first, one of my first fights. Uh, I fought this wrestler and everyone told me, don't wrestle the guy. Don't wrestle the guy. Don't, don't wrestle the guy. I went out and started shooting double legs and got in a wrestling match with a five minute wrestling match and just burnt the guy and then knocked him out in the second round. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to wrestle Marab and, uh, I'm going to see what he has. And after that, you know, I'm going to put the dude away. Yeah. That's, that, that's a really interesting way of, of looking at it because, you know, a lot of people don't want to wrestle with him for, for the reasons that you just mentioned, but we haven't really seen him off of his back very much in his UFC career. So you getting in there and getting a takedown on him, I think that, I mean, who knows if you're going to watch this, but that would probably surprise him. And, you know, maybe you can wear on him a little bit with him being off his back and trying to get him off of you, get you off of him. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people kind of try to play this like, 
some outside game where they don't really let them close. But, I mean, we're fighting a small cage. We're two guys that, uh, you know, we're not big dudes. We're going to be on top of each other. What am I going to do? Am I going to dance around and, and try to avoid a takedown for 15 minutes? Like, no, Marek's shooting on me. He's going to shoot 20-plus times. I know that. Uh, I think that's in this division. And so I mean, that's not really something that I'm concerned with. You know, even if the guy does get a takedown, like, I won't be there for more than a couple seconds. So it's not like it'll really matter. You know, Mraz not like a bee, the guy that takes you down and you, you never get back to your feet. I don't I don't necessarily worry so much about his wrestling. I worry more about his crazy shit that he throws on his feet. Uh, you know, I have to be sharp. I have to be focused. Um, and I have to be ready for a guy that literally is kind of off balance and, and, and weird the whole fight. Uh, but stylistically, um, I couldn't really think of a guy that's better. You know, I think of him just like Brian Caraway, you know, kind of ugly on his feet, shoots a lot. Um, and I fought Brian Caraway with a torn ACL and two broken ribs and beat him. So I'm confident going to the smash-up this weekend. Are you are you training at the at all the same places that, that you trained for, for for the Ascar fight or, you know, for the February fight? Or did you have to, like, maybe change some things around at all? No, I mean, because Ascar was originally supposed to be Mirab, I mean, I did the exact same thing. I mean, I'm, I, I, the only thing I really changed about my training at all was I just added a couple of wrestling practices a week, straight wrestling practices where I just did a really, really hard grinding wrestling matches. And probably the most I've ever wrestled the past six months is the most I've wrestled my entire MMA career. Like, I really don't wrestle that much you know even though i go out and i win a lot of fights by wrestling uh i really just kind of relied on the the high school wrestling you know that that you know i did 10 years ago i don't really like try to sharpen my wrestling game but i really focused a lot on the on the wrestling obviously uh coming into a fight against Marab and and uh like i said i'm just just curious i'm curious of what i have in there you know what i mean what different i mean i know i'm a better wrestler than i've ever been i know i'm in better shape um and i'm kind of just chomping at the bit because i i want to see what i can do uh on saturday night of course i mean there's there's a lot going on in this division right now aljamain sterling is the bandway champion after the dq win over piotr jan and i'm sure you've talked about this on in other interviews but i'm curious to get your take on the whole thing because it's been quite the story and you know I know Eric Nixick was in his corner and everything. I talked to him about it. So, you know, what what, what were your, what was your thoughts in sort of like the aftermath of that whole thing? So, I mean, in another interview, I said that I thought that Aljamain could have got up. Uh, I still believe that to be true. He got all pissed at me and sent me a, something on Twitter because, I mean, we're kind of friends uh, on a personal level. Um, but, I mean, I stand by that. I do believe that he could have continued um do i think it was the right choice i think it was the right thing to do continue after that it's like no i mean i think that he made the right choice for him by staying down and uh you know winning the championship i think that was a huge money move and i think it was the smartest thing that he could have done uh i've been in that situation song you know need me in the head and scrambled my eggs a little bit and I was just pissed off, not thinking, 
Uh, and I got back to my feet, just mad, and I just wanted to keep fighting. Um, and then, and then I, you know, get a, a majority draw. And in hindsight, could have just stayed down. It, you know, maybe it would have been better for your health and and better for your career if you had just stayed down. Um, so it's hard to say what the right decision is. Uh, you know, but the optics of it all don't look good. You know, he could have done things a lot differently. I mean, obviously, the he shouldn't have had the belt on that night. He shouldn't have had a drink in his hand. They shouldn't have been celebrating. And if they did, it should have never made it to the internet. I mean, the optics look bad. And that's on the people that are around him, the people that are close to him, uh, posting shit like that. And I think I think more than uh, more that I care about Aljamain's decision uh, to get up, to get down, uh, doesn't directly affect me right now. So I don't really care. Uh, but maybe you should look at his friend circle and look at like, you know what I mean? The, the, the clout chasers and the people that he's got around him and, and start questioning that because I mean, people really did make him look bad. And like, I don't know if it's him or who's telling him to do the stuff that he's doing now, but I mean, it, it just doesn't look good. You know, I like the guy on a personal level, like I said, but uh, I think he's making some big mistakes, you know, uh, representing himself right now. That rematch will be massive when it happens. I know he's recovering from some surgery right now. He thinks he'll be back in October, and that would be cool if that did happen. I'm really excited for that. And on top of that, we got some big main events in the division coming up this month. Dillashaw versus Sanhagen's next weekend. Font versus Garbrandt a couple weeks after that. A lot going on right now. So in your eyes, how important is it for you to sort of set the tone ahead of these big fights and sort of put yourself in these conversations with some of these guys at the top? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, something that I've I've always kind of seen myself being one of those guys, being one of the, the, the top guys in the Bantamweight division. Uh, you know, regardless of, of where anyone else sees me, I do believe that there's only a few people on the, on the planet that can beat me in MMA at this point in my career. Um, and I think that number gets smaller and smaller every day, every day that I'm in the gym working hard. Um, so... It's interesting that the, the fights that are happening, you know, I think Sanhagen Dillashaw fight is a fight that I'm most uh, excited to watch um, because I really want Sanhagen to knock TJ Dillashaw out. I want TJ Dillashaw out of the equation. Um, I just, the whole Tane and supplement thing, I mean, and I know a lot of people that personally know TJ, like this isn't the first time that TJ took steroids, you know, it's like, you get a DUI. Is that the first time you were drink? You were drinking and driving? Like, let's be honest. Probably not. Probably did it every weekend. Um, and you just finally got caught. It's it's funny that regardless of all that stuff, there's so many people that are still like on the TJ Dillashaw bandwagon. It's like we really don't even we don't even put that much weight into you know what EPO and what uh, HGH and all the things I know TJ does. Uh, into account like the guy is recovering faster he's got more of a gas tank he's winning all these all these big fights in the fifth round because you know like he's dope to the bone and you know i'm sure that he's still gonna find a way to to cheat i just don't think that he knows anything else uh and he knows that usada didn't catch him last time so what i mean why would he change he knows that it's an athletic commission that caught him and it was it was a it was a it was a rare thing you know i mean TJ's coach 
is in contact with USADA all the time to know what the what the tests are, to know you know what's going on. Why? Why would he need to know that? The only reason he would need to know that is because he know he's trying to beat the test. And uh, I don't think I don't think TJ just deserves any of the clout that he's getting, you know, because it would be really easy for me to to at this point be like, hey, well, you know, TJ didn't get in a lot of trouble. Maybe I should do EPO. Maybe I should get on HGH, and I should be, you know, what I mean, like the same the you know what I mean the same because I know that it's going to be really hard for him to catch me I should I should try to cheat I mean but at the end of the day you got to look yourself in the mirror and be like you know did I get this do I have all these things because of my hard work uh and my dedication or do I have all these things because I found a shortcut uh and a loophole in the system uh and I'd like to walk away from the sport with some integrity or you know, whatever you can have as a, as a athlete in the MMA community. Um, and I'd like to know that I did it the right way. And I don't think he ever can. And I wish more people, uh, scolded him for it and didn't give a shit to watch him fight. So you'll be, you'll, you'll be on team Sanhagen on May 8th. Oh, I'm, on team, I'm on team Sanhagen. Honestly, Corey Sanhagen is the dude in the Bantamite division that, that scares the absolute shit out of me. If there's one guy that like, when the contract comes across the table, it says Corey Sanhagen, I'm going to shit my pants. But anybody else, I'd be like, okay, let's do it. Corey Sanhagen, I'd be like, give me a couple of days. I need to think about it. Because, <laughs> I mean, that guy's scary. He really is scary. In my eyes, he's the scariest dude in the division. I think he's, I think he, you know, he could easily be the champ. I think he could easily be the best guy in the world. And, uh, you know, no, no, nobody in this division scares me like Corey Sanhagen does. That's a good fight. Yeah. Font and Garbrandt. I know you and Font aren't the best of friends, so that'll be interesting as well. Um, I, I assume you watched UFC 261 yeah, on Saturday. I'm on, I'm on team Garbrandt. What's that? Yeah. I watched, the, I watched the fights. I watched the fights and I, and, uh, you know, I got a lot of, I got a lot of comments from fans and stuff and they were like, man, did you, did you see that? That was crazy. His leg just snapped and, uh, like it, first it was like man you got to throw that calf kick more and then it was like oh my god be careful throwing leg kicks and i'm like dude this is mma this shit ain't new like this stuff's been happening uh and it, it's it's a crazy sport and i think it doesn't it takes someone like absolutely snapping their leg for people to realize like absolutely how dangerous it is you know what we're doing and then you go to the title fights and you got rose i thought rose would win uh I really, really believe that she was better than Wang Lee. Um, and I think, you know, she is the best girl in the world, and I'm happy that she won. Uh, the one that really surprised me, though, was Usman. Like, Kamar Usman uh, absolutely throwing a bomb and knocking out Jorge Masvidal. I thought it was going to be more of the same. I thought it was going to be the same fight. Um, and I think that Usman can win that fight. Uh, 10 times out of 10 against Jorge Masvidal where he's just grinding them and he goes five rounds and he beats him because he's just uh, levels above uh, Jorge Masvidal in the, in the grappling exchanges. But the fact that he went out there and decided he didn't really want to grapple and he goes and knocks the dude out, uh, man, hats off to, to Kamar Usman. Like, that's a bad dude. And I think he deserves to be the number one guy uh, pound for pound in the UFC right now because no one's doing what he's doing. Let's be honest, that's a tough division. He's dusting everybody. So big Usman fan. Yeah, hard to argue with everything you just said there. Is it kind of a bummer that 
this card is happening a week after that because, I mean, you obviously heard the fans in Jacksonville. It's like a whole different experience. You know, 13 months later, fans back in there, they're rowdy. Obviously, provides a different atmosphere. You're a little bummed, like this is happening a week later, and you're back at the apex with uh with no fans. Uh, no, I mean, I'm just happy to be in Vegas. You know what I mean? I live here now. Logistically, it's so much easier to fight at home. Uh, you know, I'm so so. Uh, I would sacrifice not having fans to fight here. You know, I think it's it's just it's so much easier. You know, do I want to deal with all the bullshit COVID protocols? Like, absolutely not. Like, I would like to just stay at my house, make weight, you know, sleep in my own bed, and then go to the venue on on fight day. You know, the quarantine. I understand why we have to do it. Uh, you know, but listen, there's other places that are saying f you to COVID and. Uh, uh, I can't wait till Nevada does because I'm over this bullshit. Like, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to pretend like I'm going to die from a virus that I've literally seen a hundred of my friends survive, you know, in 48 hours. I mean, I'm, I'm over, I'm over COVID. Uh, I don't believe it. Uh, it's as bad as they say. I mean, people die of the flu, people die in car accidents, you know, I could literally drop dead from a, Canyonism, you know, right now, like, let's not live in fear. Let's just move on. And then, you know, re- regardless, you, you'll, you'll be in the octagon with Marab Dwalish Willie on Saturday. The time has finally come. You're prepared to go out there and make a statement, send a message to everybody. 135, maybe a message to the odds makers that have you as a two to one underdog in this fight, Cody. Uh, how do we send that message on Saturday night? How do we get this thing done? Uh, I got to beat the dog shit out of him. I really do. Uh, this isn't the first time I've been an underdog though. This is a uh, kind of a reoccurring theme in my career and I don't, not really sure what it is. I'm not really sure what it is. I mean, I've been an underdog in all but two of my UFC fights, I think. So, I mean, the underdog thing isn't really something that, uh, is foreign to me. Um, I guess a lot of my friends have made a lot of money betting on me. Uh, so I guess they can keep making me an underdog shit. I'll bet on myself, you know, if that's even that's legal to do. I'll put whatever amount of money on myself winning this fight. If I can double my money, should I put my, I'll put my fight purse on it. I mean, that's how confident I am going into this fight this weekend. So, uh, you know, Murab's a good dude. The Georgian fans suck. And, uh, I can't wait to, uh, just put an end to all this shit. I want, I'm, you know, I want to knock Murab out and then I want to start looking at the bigger names in the family division. Yeah, so if, if, if you want to know what Cody's talking about, go on his Instagram and he uh, sort of explained that. But Marab, you know, kind of kind of told him to calm down a little bit, which he's, I thought was okay. He's a, he, man, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. And uh, it's, oh, man, these guys are just making it real personal and making it real nasty. And it's like, if I wasn't motivated to train for him before, after I read those messages, I was like, I'm going to murder everyone. Everyone. Like, I was absolutely insane. So... I think it had kind of a, uh, uh, a wrong effect. I, I don't I think they would have been better off just leaving me the hell alone because now I'm uh, very motivated and, and uh, I've been sitting on the shelf for too long. I'm ready to kill somebody. He's got the locker room material now. Well, sir, it is uh, it has been a crazy year for you. I know you've been waiting to get 2021 started as soon as possible, and it finally does on Saturday at the Apex. So, Cody, appreciate the time as always. Really looking forward to this fight on Saturday, and uh, all the best to you, my friend. Thank you, man. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom 
help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. All right, let us welcome back to the program Dustin Jacoby. He is back at action this Saturday against Iwan Kutalaba. This should be a banger for sure. Dustin, how are you, man? I'm great, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to catch up with you and talk some fight business. Absolutely. It's uh, great to have you back, sir. First off, this fight came together pretty quickly. Devin Clark was originally supposed to have this fight on Saturday, but you are in. How do we get to this point? How did you uh, enter the fray, so to speak? Yeah, I just got a call from my management team and and uh, last Sunday, I guess it was, and told me that uh, there was an opportunity to fight Kutalaba. And I talked to my coach. He loved the matchup and I loved the matchup myself. So uh, here we are, man, fighting this Saturday night at the Apex and right where I feel comfortable and feel at home. So I'm excited to get it popping. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's funny you say that because, I mean, you have had quite a year, man, from the Contender Series, two wins in the UFC since August, all in Las Vegas. I mean, how would you describe these last eight months or so, man? It's been like a whirlwind for you. Uh, not really a whirlwind, man. I've been doing this professionally for 10 years now. So uh, it just kind of seems like uh, another day at the office, to be honest. Obviously, it's it's great to be back with the UFC. I had my opportunity on the Contender Series. I made the most of it and uh, was fortunate enough to be given a contract by Dana and uh, went out there and made the most of my next two opportunities. And I and I got rewarded by getting a new contract to the UFC for this fight. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's... Uh, uh, the biggest thing is just getting comfortable at the apex. I feel very comfortable there. You know, this will be my fourth time competing there and fourth time competing with no crowd, which is a major bummer. And and I can't wait until I can get back out there and fight with the crowd like this past weekend, man, that place was go was electric. And uh, I can't wait for that, man. I, I'm super pumped for that opportunity. I was just going to say, it's like a week removed from the crowd and then back to the apex. And I know you're comfortable there, but there's got to be a party that's a little bit bummed after seeing how ruckus that place was this past Saturday. Oh, oh dude, there's a whole, the whole, every, every ounce of me is bummed that uh, there's not going to be a crowd Saturday. But you know what? As I told my wife, I, was, I said that to her, I was like, man, look at this crowd. Like that's, that's what people want to see. The people are there. It was good. That crowd was kind of like a big you know, tossing the, 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 the bird up to everybody. Like we're here, man. We want to be back. We want to be back to normal. We want to be back to watching live sports. And uh, I told my wife, man, I wish I had that. And she's like, Hey, relax. You're going to have that. You just can't see him. So uh, she's right, man. There'll be a lot of uh, family and friends and, and people tuning in. I, I just won't be able to see him. And uh, you know, I, I mean, it is what it is. Hopefully we get him back soon. 
Yeah, that's a good, that's actually a really good way to look at it. And, uh, of course your guy, Anthony Smith looked tremendous in that fight. It was a lot of fun with Jimmy crude ended kind of unfortunately with the injury, but, uh, great first round. It was very enjoyable to watch. What did you think of Anthony going out there and continuing to prove the doubters wrong? Oh, dude, I, w- I was so happy for Anthony. I was, uh, I knew Jim and, and hats off to Jimmy Crute, man. That guy is an animal, extremely tough. He's hungry up and comer. And, uh, you never know, man. I may be dancing with him here, here, here in the near future sometime, but I could tell, right. You know, I, I was nervous for Anthony just because, um, of the, of the competition, man, I knew crew was young and hungry and, and coming for Anthony's spot. When I saw Anthony start that walkout and start embracing with the crowd and how well the crowd loved him, I immediately was like, I looked over to everybody. I was there. I was like, man, Anthony's going to win this. Like there was zero doubt in my mind. He looked awesome. He, he was just relishing in the moment and he went out there and delivered, man. It was an awesome fight. Super unfortunate that it ended the way it did. But then again, I mean, that, that's Anthony going out there and delivering a, a fight ending blow. You know, that, that's what we're paid to do. And then that's what we, we signed the contract to do, to go out there and, and, and do whatever it takes to get your opponent out there. And he did that. So I was super excited for him and, and, and glad I was in the training room getting him ready. So, I, you know, it made me comfortable to, to take this call and accept the challenge for next Saturday. Yeah. You know, it, I felt the same way. You heard return of the Mac blast over the speakers. He's walking out and having a good time. And right there and then I'm like, oh boy, this is uh this is going to be a scrap. Oh yeah. <laughs> he was yeah, in good no spirits. Doubt, man. That, that, yeah. He was in great spirits and so was crew, man. I had off to both guys. It was just phenomenal matchup. And, and of course, you know, I'm happy. My teammate and friend got it done. Your most recent appearance, you fought Maxim Grishin. It was a fun fight. It was super close, good little scrap. And, uh, both of you guys showed your toughness in that fight. What did you take away from those 15 minutes after getting a quick knockout in your first fight? Yeah, man. Uh, Max Grishin is extremely durable, extremely tough. He, he's a gritty, crafty veteran. I knew he was going to be in. And uh, I, I come away from that fight with so much confidence. And and so I was just so proud to get that victory and, and happy with myself because you know, uh, Grishin is not an easy out for anybody. I honestly don't think there's many people in the light heavyweight division that beat that guy. And, and then uh, on the other side of that, dude, he, he, he's probably the biggest light heavyweight that I'm going to face. So, um, you know, I'm happy to get that out of the way. I'm happy to go against a veteran like that. Somebody that really pushed me to the core. You know, there was no doubt that it, that he won round one. And, and then I thought I did a good job of winning rounds two and three and, and uh, that's exactly how the judges saw. You know, I ended up winning by unanimous decision, and um, you know, they saw it the way I saw it. That they saw it the way that I felt it in there. And uh, you know, again, to be able to go toe to toe at the end of the day, people can say what they say, but I'm the one that get in there and I do this, and I'm the one that stood toe to toe with him for 15 minutes, and it gives me just the the utmost confidence to to just keep going forward. And you know, now I got another tough fight, and I in Kuntalaba, but. He's not a monster like Grishin is. I feel so much more relaxed and comfortable going into this fight, to be completely honest. Yeah, I would agree. Were you getting flack for the for the Grishin fight? Did, did were people saying like he was robbed or anything like that? Like what was the feedback you got? No, I got I got pretty positive feedback. I mean, listen, we all know it was a very close fight. You know, it's it's I've had those fights in my career where I've been on the losing side, and it's like yeah, I look in the mirror, like I didn't lose that fight. The, the judges said I lost the fight, but I don't feel like I lost the fight, you know? So you just got to keep going, you know? And, and when you, when you win, or when you lose like that, it's tough. Uh, but no, I didn't get much flack. I think a lot of people saw it the same way. I think they saw that he won round one. And I think they saw that I won rounds two and three. And, and, and after rewatching it, that's exactly how I saw it as well. So 
um, yeah, man, it's, it is what it is. And, and uh, I was just happy to get that victory. How's the, uh, how's the golf game these days? I assume you've had to, uh, get off the course a little bit cause you got a fight to prepare for, but how, uh, how you've been swinging the sticks here. Yeah, I've been, I've been playing really well this year, to be honest. I've been, I've yet to, to get around in the seventies. I, uh, I had right after that Grisham fight, I had my, uh, guys golf trip out in Vegas and, and I was out there for a week and, uh, I, I, I've, I've made a goal of not getting North of 90, not posting a 90 or more score like the past few years. And early on, I always have that round out in Vegas in like March golf, you know, when you're not in your prime, uh, in your prime shape and, and, and golfing season, I always kind of go North of 90. Well, this year I, I had an 88 and I shot an 86 and then two 81s out in Vegas. So I'm pretty confident. I'm not going to go North of 90 this year. I played Saturday and Sunday this weekend and I, and I reeled off back to back eighties, uh, which is a little disappointing because I missed <laughs> so many four. I missed so many short putts, man. That should have put me at like a 76, 77, but, uh, yeah, man, golf game's good. I play. And then as a matter of fact, I was, I'm supposed to be playing in a, a scramble right now. My wife's playing with another one of my buddies. I just, I couldn't do it. I had training this morning and I didn't want it with it being fight week. I didn't want to, uh, I wanted to kind of suffer a little bit. I didn't want to be out having fun. I want to be inside. I had, you know, I've got training this morning. I'll train this afternoon. I just wanted to be, like I said, a little bit of suffering before I go into this fight. There you go. So Iwan Kutalaba, I mean, I'm sure you are well aware that he is, uh, he's quite the personality. He's, uh, a bit of a wild man to say the least in that octagon. So, you know, like you said, you fought Maxim Grishin, who's a, a big, powerful guy, you know, huge in stature. This matchup, I would guess is, uh, stylistically your cup of tea to say the least. Oh, hundred percent, man. And look, Ion to, or Eon is a great opponent. He's a great competitor. I've been watching this guy, uh, for the past couple of years. Like you said, he's a guy that sticks out, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the fans know who he is. Um, I think he fights with a lot of emotion for, from the time the weigh-ins start. Uh, he's a pretty emotional guy, and I think that drains a lot of his energy, and that's something that's definitely going to be playing in my favor. Um, I think the hardest part of the fight is going to be the first two or three minutes, and once I weather that storm from him, I think I'm just going to completely take over, man. I love the matchup, um, and, and and I fought – you know, he's not, he's not a heavy wrestler. He's not a heavy grinder grappler. He's not going to try to take me down and hold me down. So I'm not worried about that. And, uh, and, and, and I've fought, you know, the best strikers in the world in the glory under the glory kickboxing promotion and guys that, you know, this, this fight right here, I'm not overlooking it. I know it's going to be a tough fight and I, and I'm excited for the challenge, but I tell you what, man, I have zero fear. I have zero doubt that I'm going to come out victorious. He's been on a little bit of a rough patches of late. I mean, he had the two fights with, with Ankalaev. He got a win in between, but he had the submission loss to Glover. He's fought tough guys. I mean, he does have a couple of stoppage wins over the last few years, but I mean, how do you sort of view this one? Like, do you think he's going to come out maybe a little more cautious knowing he's likely in a situation where he, he pretty much has to win this fight or, you know, could be the last, but, or do you think he's going to like turn that wild man side of him up a couple of notches? I think to be honest, I think he might be a little more reserved. Um, but with that being said, I fully expect him coming out hard and I want him to come out hard. You know, I think that's who he is. I think, I don't think he can get away from that. Even as much as he tries to maybe come out reserved, I think, you know, it's just his fighting spirit, man. It's who he is. He's a warrior and, and he, he's a madman. You know, he wants to go balls to the wall and, and, uh, 
you know, I'm looking forward to that, man. I'm embracing that. Like I said, I think that that's a little bit of a, a weakness of his that uh, he he lets his emotions get the better of him. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just excited, man. I know, I know he's going to be throwing bombs and I know he, he can catch me. He can knock out anybody. I, I know he's very capable of knocking me out. I just got to make sure I keep my distance. I'm a cleaner striker. Um, you know, you use, we have a couple of th- tools that we've been sharpening and working on. And I got a couple of tricks up my sleeve that I think are going to work perfect for this matchup. Of course, later on the card, another big one in your division in the main event between Dominic Reyes and Yuri Prohashka fun fight. How do you sort of see that one playing out? Yeah, that's a really fun fight, man. And this Yuri guy, I, I'm a big fan of him. I remember the first time I watched him fight, I was like, man, I like this guy. And then he went out there and had a, a walk-off knockout. And, um, you know, I and that's I'm going to be watching it closely. You know, I'm going to get this victory. And and after this victory, you know, I'm, I'm wanting a top 15 opponent. You know, I, I want to get close to that top 10. And, and maybe by the end of this year, have a number next to my name. So uh, those are two guys that I, I very well see myself uh, competing with in the future. And, you know, I'm a big fan of both guys. I think both guys are great athletes. I think both guys are great warriors. Um, I, I think Dominic's a, a little bit better of an athlete, but I think a year he's a little more, uh, he's a little more unorthodox. He's a little more unconventional. He, he throws some crazy stuff and he's really long. So uh, both, both are scary individuals. I think Yuri uh, has the power and the unorthodox and, and just the, Uh, the different style to maybe catch Dominic, but we'll see, man. I'll keep my eyes on both of them. In terms of your fight, how do you see this one going out? Like, you know, you're confident that you're going to emerge victorious, but this is a fight. A lot of people have circled on their fight cards ahead of Saturday night. How do we get this thing done? Man, I think I catch him. I really do. I think that, uh, you know, my precision and my striking is going to be better than his. And, you know, I just got to watch out for them wild hooks. I'm going to stay, keep it simple, man. Straight one, twos right down the center. Uh, you know, look, look for those teeths and then maybe switch them into something else. And, and, uh, I, I think I catch them. I really do, man. I think that, uh, my power's there and I've got something to prove too. Three of my last four MMA fights have went to a decision and, uh, you know, and so, and then I, I look at myself as a finisher. So I need to go out there and make a statement and finish this guy and, and prove that I'm ready for the top echelon of that light heavyweight division. Yeah. So let's, let's get through this one you know, get a stoppage and then let's get you on that July 10th card because that kind of checks off two boxes. You're very comfortable in Vegas and you get to fight in front of fans. So I think that is, is that something you're kind of thinking about? Like, let's get in there and then let's get on that July 10th card and fight in front of the peeps. Bingo, man. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm going to go out there and, and put this guy away and, you know, I'm going to try to get on that July 10th card, the Poirier McGregor card with the uh, first fight back in Vegas with fans. That's exactly my mindset. That's my goal. So uh, that's what I'm shooting for, man. Well, there you go. I'm very happy for you, man. This is a great scrap. You have uh, certainly been, in my opinion, one of the great stories in the sport over the last eight months or so. And uh, that story continues this Saturday, UFC Vegas 25. And I'm I'm psyched for this fight, Dustin. Enjoy fight week, my man. All the best to you on Saturday. And uh, hopefully when this is done, you can get right back on the golf course and shoot somewhere in the 70s. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, I've got I've already got a tee time lined up for the Saturday after my fight. So I'm looking forward to it, man. But, you know, like I said, this week's business as usual. I got a job to do and uh, and then I'll I'll enjoy that that week that follows fight week. So I'm pumped. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate the time as always. Thanks, bro. And then we'll catch up and uh, we'll talk about this victory I get. And hopefully we can meet each other on a golf course one of these days. See, now you're you're speaking my language. One of my goals (laughs) in the next like year or so is to do like an interview playing golf. Like that's what I want to do with somebody. So maybe you can be the guinea pig when I'm out there. 
Make sure I'm the guinea pig. Make sure I'm that first guy. I, I, I would love to, man. I would love that as well. Thank you, Dustin. Thanks, Mike. Have a good day. <laughs> you too, man. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on the amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Here's the truth about AI. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people.